0: Good Morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are on this rotating globe. If you go to the other side of midnight.com and you look on our little spinning planet there, you can see that we are in hundreds of countries—about 191 or 92 now, at last count, I believe. So it may be morning, or afternoon, or evening where you are. Well, welcome, one and all. This morning is a program that we had not planned, it came about very suddenly uh, yesterday afternoon when the fourth American, the fourth man, the fourth human to walk on the moon in this era from planet Earth, just 240-some thousand miles away, died peacefully in a Houston hospital surrounded by his family at the age of 86. Now, it's, it's untimely. I mean, 86... As I get older, these numbers start looking more and more serious. And to me, 86 is, it's not that far away. I mean, it's, it's very strange to consider this, but what we want to do is we want to celebrate Alan Bean's life because Alan Bean, Navy commander, astronaut, and most intriguingly professional artist. I mean, how many people halfway through their lives change dramatically I mean, really dramatically, their entire careers, their, their perception of the universe, how they interact with life and their friends and colleagues and all this. And there were people that said when, you know, I mean, walking on the moon has got to be the high point of your life. At least it certainly would be for me. And what was so intriguing is that as I started doing the book, a Dark Mission with Mike Barra, I had known for some time that another astronaut, Ed Mitchell, who also is no longer with us. In fact, of all the 12 people who walked on the moon, there are only four left. And we don't know how much longer they will be with us in this third dimension. But it was Ed Mitchell who was at a... um speech giving you know when when guys come back from the moon they become lion eyes they become heroes they become icons they become public people they become celebrities their life is not their own anymore and so they all wind up doing speeches and ed mitchell was doing a speech one afternoon shortly after apollo 14 had returned to earth in 1971 spring of 71 was that mission And a little boy, you know, obviously someone like me, overly enamored with space, oh my God, there's an astronaut, gets a chance to ask Ed Mitchell the question. Dr. Mitchell, Dr. Mitchell, what does it feel like to walk on the moon? And Mitchell says later in his book, The Way of the Explorer, that this kid's innocent question really turned his life because at that moment, standing on stage with a bunch of screaming kids in the audience, and one that had just asked this obviously major, hugely important question, he didn't have an answer. He said, I looked inside me, and I could remember what we did. I remembered the flight plan, I remember the, you know, the geological stations, the, 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 the traverses as they're called, in the geological, uh, you know, nomenclature. But I couldn't connect. I couldn't remember how it felt. I mean, and and he said in this book, Way of the Explorer, he says, you know, this was the high point of my career. So he started to go into therapy. He specifically went to a therapist in, I believe, D.C. I happen to know who the therapist is. And I know people around this therapist who have corroborated this story. That when Mitchell went to the therapist he had one question he wanted to know why he could not remember what it felt like to walk on the moon he can remember all the details all the technical stuff all the jargon all the science terms all the you know timelines and all but he could not remember what it he could not connect with what it felt like what it must have been like to be On the moon. And as Mike and I were doing the book, I started looking at other astronauts and their public speeches and things they'd written and interviews they'd given and all this. And I found this bizarre, increasingly bizarre pattern. None of them. I repeat that. None of the astronauts. And we only have four left now can remember what it felt like to walk on the moon. Now, I know there are people out there who are going to say, see, that proves it never went. Wrong, pale face. That proves nothing other than they can't remember. Now, what's interesting is that there are several different forms of memory. We're going to talk about this at length this morning. There's the, you know, left brain metonymic memory, and then there's muscle memory, and then there's that creative connection where you wind up doing things that you don't consciously remember, but some part of you does. And the extraordinary individual we're going to talk about tonight, Alan Bean, when he came back from the moon... For some reason, and I don't think this has ever been adequately explored or explained in interviews with Dean or in his books or whatever. And of course, now we can't ask him, but maybe he maybe he left us some clues. We'll, we can only hope. For some reason, when he came back from the moon, I mean, here's a guy that when he was in the Naval Academy, he was a naval, you know, uh, guy, naval aviator, through and through. When he came back from the moon, he for some reason reverted to a class he had taken at the Naval Academy in art appreciation, and he decided to become midlife a painter, a professional painter, and he chose as his subject in something like, I think there are 176 different paintings now that Alan Bean in the course of several decades after he returned from the moon, had painted, and they're in galleries, and they're on websites, and they've been to the Smithsonian. He decided to encapsulate and memorialize and reflect upon in his art, which is damn good art. Technically, it's really good. But then it it wanders, and it leaves the field of stark NASA color imagery, reality of the lunar surface. And it gets into all kinds of other other areas that are termed by critics and people who appreciate his paintings and all that as, you know, fantasy projections or imaginations of what might someday be or anything but that he's painting from another side of himself, from another memory, what it really was like to walk on the moon. So this morning, we have with us some people who are part of our imaging team. Remember, we're working on a book on Mars, but uh, the moon has intruded. We have three sterling people who are perfectly positioned to talk about Alan Bean's work, his artistry, his imagination, his creativity, his technical prowess. Oh, and the place he was kind of immortalizing the moon. Andrew Curry began his artistic career as a community public artist working with neighborhood groups to create murals in schools and community centers. As a graphic designer and illustrator, Andrew has serviced small to large Canadian companies. Oh, did I mention he's coming to us tonight from British Columbia, from Canada? For the past decade, He has worked as a storyboard artist and concept illustrator in film and television and in commercial TV advertising. Andrew has a bachelor's of arts from the University of British Columbia, a diploma in graphic design and illustration, and a master's in, and this is going to be really important, art therapy. Keith Laney is a space image processing and anomaly specialist from Charlotte, North Carolina, who by the way is getting drenched tonight. Uh, Alberto is shoving huge amounts of water ahead of its truck across the Gulf of Mexico. So we hope everyone stays safe and dry and high. Not necessarily in that order. Keith is a husband, a father, a grandfather, an artist, a copper master. Oh, wait till you see his copper work. You know, Keith has got some surprises in terms of his copper work. He's also an amateur space scientist, and I wonder about that term because, you know, those of us that do this day and night, night and day, are we amateurs anymore? You know, just because we don't happen to, you know, graduate from Harvard. um, I think we have to look at that again. Anyway, he's an avid promoter and supporter of space exploration in all forms. The primary passion of Keith's life after about half of the above is space imaging. His work has been featured by NASA mainstream news organizations, and planetary anomaly lovers the world over. Keith hosts a privately unequaled online collection of space imaging. I mean, he wrote that, so it's obviously true. Planetary Curiosities, his own writings and music, which just celebrated its 16th anniversary. It says 13 in the thing here, but I think it's 16, or maybe it's 22. Uh, These numbers, he, he he will correct the record, as we used to say. And finally, last but certainly not least, Kintia, known in early Mars circles as Mama Mars, is a San Francisco Bay Area artist and the artistic director for the initial Mars Project and now currently producer for The Other Side of Midnight. And every morning she wakes up, she says, how the hell did I get into this job? Kintia sculpted the first ever face on Mars, three-dimensional clay model, along with the cliff behind it that echoes from the profile face features. This sculpture appeared on the first edition of the Monuments of Mars by yours truly, and was later corroborated by a computer analysis by Dr. Mark J. Carlado at the Analytical Sciences Corporation in Boston, Massachusetts. Then came the Cody Mars face, unveiled at the Cody conference, where she contributed to discussions with other anomaly researchers, including me, John Anthony West, Gene Maloff, Tom Van Plantern, and many others. When the Mars Global Surveyor, MGS, took a provocative new photo of the face on Mars, which was incredibly controversial because <clears throat> it didn't seem to show a face at all, Ginthea set about to sculpt the face once again, including the new data revealed in kind of obscured, in a weird way, in the new NASA photo. That sculpture, called the Malta Bronze, was featured on a later edition of the Monuments of Mars on on the book cover that she designed. And she's also organized Mars exhibits, was a key organizer of two JPL rallies in protest of NASA's policies regarding taking new imagery of the face. And then she sculpted the face several more times and created a 3D computer model, which is going to show up in this incredible video from our workshop, which you're going to see shortly, used in the Mars face animations featured on Pax TV. Confi has dedicated more than seventeen years to studying and sculpting the face on Mars. Her interest in research into Martian anomalies spans, good grief, over thirty-five years. We've been at this that long. In addition to all this, she has two grown sons whom she delights in every single day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the other side of midnight. Hi, Richard. Good morning, Andrew. I think I hear Mr. Laney rustling there in the bushes.
1: Trying to come off a mute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you're a little faint. If you can get closer to your mic, that would help. And continue. You're with us, I presume. Yes. Yes, I am. Thank you. Good. good. And you are are crystal clear. Okay. Um, When I... Looked at the computer yesterday afternoon and got all these messages from people all over the world saying, Alan Bean has died. My first thought was, A, we've got to change the show. My second thought was, is Andrew available? Because <clears throat> Andrew is my go-to guy when it comes to trying to figure out what Bean was really trying to tell us all these years. Not in print, not in speeches, not in word, but through his exquisite and exquisitely revealing art. So let me give the floor to you, Andrew. Um you kind of set this thing up and tonight you're going to definitely want to everyone go to Radio with Pictures. The way you get there is you go to the side of Midnight.com. This is a radio show you can't just listen to on radio because, well, you can't. So go to the side of Midnight.com, click on the gorgeous graphic Canthea prepared, which is Alan Bean standing in a spacesuit. On the Moon, self-portrait, titled, That's How It Felt to Walk on the Moon. And that picture to me is so amazingly revealing. Andrew, take it away. Thank you, Richard.
2: So this is a, an interesting, almost not an anniversary, but I met you, quote unquote, um, through Alan Bean. I guess it's been what richard two years ago now or is it three guys
0: it's i think it's three
2: yeah Yeah. it was 2015
0: when i started the show
2: yeah when art
0: Art convinced me oh you gotta do a show yeah really art um (laughs) anyway so art's no longer with us too hi art
2: yeah and i and keith i met you too um on the same show because richard had you on so it's Kind of a reunion, everybody. It's—I mean, Kynthia, I—I met you through um, reading about you in um, uh, *Monuments of Mars*, and I had this mm. feeling I was—I was, I was going to meet you. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, Richard. I mean, we've all come together almost like this huge extended family, and it just continues to grow. And I just right off the top, I'd like to say, everybody, Richard's really right when he says you really need to tune into the pictures tonight as well as our words. Because we're not only going to paint pictures with our words, but you have to see what Alan Bean did over the course of his career. It's it's absolutely marvelous and stunning. And I want to start with, I am trained as an art therapist. I am not practicing right now, but I do use the tools of that training.
0: Okay, let me Um, stop you there. mm. What the heck does an art therapist do?
2: Yeah. Well, art therapy is known, it's some um, part of, um, sort of, uh, uh the, what, what's known as the expressive therapy. So like dance therapy, music therapy, and it's a form of psychotherapy, um, in that vein. But the idea is to allow people to kind of freely express themselves. And in my case, it's, it's through the art and what it sort of reveals is like inner emotions, possibly inner traumas, essentially like a psychological framework or or mapping of what's going on inside. So you can tell a lot by what a person paints or draws or sculpts or assembles with whatever their materials are. Um, The kind of uh, medium they use, you know, like for instance, if they use a lot of pencils or pens and, and rulers, they might be a person that that really likes a lot of control like there's a lot of things you can glean from it hmm. the other so the other hang side on of so it,
0: hang on hang on so it really is a way to bypass the conscious and go to the subconscious and it's really pretty i would think incredibly revealing if it bypasses all those filters we normally put on all our communication
2: yeah it really does richard and if you're a really good listener especially what happens a lot with people who start our therapy and again I'm just giving everybody a little bit of precursor where my background comes from as well as an artist is that people start to talk and actually a lot of people talk a lot at first. And then as they move through the process, it becomes quieter and quieter, but the words they say are so revealing of what what's going on, you know, inside. And I, I worked with, um, you know, teens in youth detention centers. I, we created this huge mural in, in their meeting room. I worked with this one young man who literally sang to me he we, we went through this whole process of planning this mural, this huge mural, and it was it was an amazing um, experience. And at one point, as we were getting close to the the end of this this giant mural in this meeting room where parents and guardians would meet their incarcerated kids, basically teens, he sang to me. He was a beautiful singer. And this is a kid that had, you know, gone off the deep end with drugs and had done some horrible things to someone.
0: So this is so a it, youth in, in, in prison, in incarceration.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I worked with a nun. I worked with children. I worked with all kinds of people. Um, And it, so art therapy is a very, like what it literally does is it just, the art just unconsciously moves you to a place where you, where you least expect. And we have to be a little bit careful though with a public artist like Alan Bean. I mean, he, we're not, again, I said this in the first show when I, when I was on the air and I'm going to say it again, that we're not going to like psychologically analyze him in some sort of deep way. I mean, I do have some thoughts, especially based on some of his early landscapes, but I'm, I don't want to get into that here. And again, he's a public figure. So what he does is public stuff. But Richard, the selection of his materials, obviously the subject matter that he's painting um, and just the way he makes his compositions and then – The descriptions, even to the level of what he calls some of his galleries, are (laughs)
0: absolutely,
2: oh, it's stunning. So he has a website. I think we have the link on the other side of Midnight website. Do we have it, Cynthia? I think we do.
0: Number eight in your items. Number eight in your items. And
1: number nine is that room you were speaking of.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. The room.
2: we We won't go to it now, but this room. So he has in his, um in his website, which is also like a lot of his paintings, uh, which by the way, when I went to visit it yesterday after his passing, I couldn't get on. So it was, that's a very interesting thing because it's made a lot of people all over the planet focus their attention on these incredible paintings of the moon that are more like Degas or Monet, who by the way, Monet was Bean's favorite artist. And we're gonna talk about that a little later on. Anyways, this particular room, this gallery room, he calls nothing so
0: hidden. (laughs) It you you can't make this stuff up. No,
2: No. and we're gonna go you know into it in a deep way,
0: and yeah. Hang on, hang on one second. I, I can tell you, I would suggest you take the second image on the right in the nothing so hidden room and put it under the title for number nine. So, there's that okay. photograph of his of right. that astronaut, you know, against the background. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll do. Oh. But, um,
2: yeah, so that's sort of like just a little – so, we want to be careful how we tread on this because, like Richard said, I'm in agreement with Richard. I think something's going on. And, it, and the reason why I say that is if you sort of read Alan Bean's um, descriptions of his paintings and his experiences and you sort of look at the subject matter – one painting in particular, which we'll talk about a little later on, and even in his interviews, um, he often is describing, he's trying to describe the feelings that he had when he was on the moon. The one thing he describes really well, constantly, and he it, it's a go-to, excuse me, a go-to sort of um, security blanket, is technical detail. And the moment that comes up, the way I, like you said, Richard, in, the, in your in your preamble to the show, his descriptions of the mission protocol, what they had to do, how NASA trained them, the lectures they received—all that stuff—it flows out of him like like clockwork, no problem at all. But when it comes to sort of grappling with how it felt, what I've discovered in his later paintings—and we'll come to it—is that he is literally showing his emotions in the paintings. And that's sort of, yeah, that's what we're going talk about tonight.
1: Hmm. Keith, ideas? I was just listening to Andrew. Is that a little bit hotter on the mic? No, you're fine. quiet there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, Alan was a was a remarkable individual. Uh, you know, like you said, for him to change career mid-step and, uh, you know, all of a sudden decide to paint. Uh, that's that's a remarkable statement. Uh I mean, it's probably the most remarkable statement out of all of it. Uh, he had something to say, but he uh, couldn't just out and say it. you know you I, wonder I'm like, sorry to interrupt, but
0: you wonder whether these guys knew that something was being done to them. The reason I know is something was being done, you know, in terms of ground truth, I was invited um I forget what years, to do a conference in a place called Cody, Wyoming, Kinthea was there, she saw this unfold. What she didn't see behind the scenes was all the weird backstory because the organizers were basically all retired CIA agents. You never knew that, Kinthea, right? That's where CIA agents go to retire is the wide open country of Montana and, and Wyoming. They buy ranches. They have lots of money. Hmm. They talk among themselves. I mean, what does an ex-spook talk about that he can possibly talk to anybody in the civilian community? He can't. You know, their whole life has been involved in the company. So these guys set up anyway. I did not know all this until I was invited to come to uh, Cody, Wyoming, and to give a presentation on Mars. That was my big resendetra up until that time, publicly, Mars, Mars, you know, Sidonia, the face, mm-hmm. all this. I decided because among the people that were invited was um, uh, Stanley McDaniel. I decided I was going to surprise everybody who did not know I was looking at this to do my first presentation on my moon research, on what I had discovered on the moon for the Cody conference. And gosh, I wish I'd known before they were a whole bunch of CIA guys because, and I've never told anybody this ever, the organizer had a wife who was a medical doctor. She was an MD. It turned out later that she was one of the doctors who was part of the debriefing team for the astronauts coming back from the moon to earth. And for the entire six days of, or three, how, for how long was it? it? was three or four days. It, it felt like an eternity because of what happened to me that, again, you don't know about during this conference. But it went on for two or three days. Tom Van Flanen was there. Um, John Anthony West. I said to him, damn it, you got to bring your Emmy. He didn't want to bring his <laughs> Emmy. I insisted he bring his Emmy for the show we had done with, uh, with Bill Cody on The Sphinx uh, on NBC. So he brought his Emmy and he put it on the, on the uh, podium when he gave his speech mm-hmm. to this conference. Remember that? There's actually a beautiful yeah. picture. Mm-hmm. And he's no longer with us. Anyway, um, little did I know that this whole thing was organized by all these CIA guys. And the guy who organized himself, when I had given my speech on the moon and laid out what was on the moon, he and his wife took me to a restaurant. And he physically threatened me in camera without anybody else seeing. Don't you ever, ever do. I mean, I was ripped up and down for surprising him and the other organizers by talking about was on the moon. And what was really peculiar and, of course, instantly fit in is that except for the first meeting when we landed at the airport, it was the only time I got to meet his wife, the doctor, the medical doctor, because she had studiously avoided for the entire period of time coming to the conference after I gave that speech about the moon, what was on the moon, and showed pictures. And it turns out she was up to her eyebrows in debriefing, and I think now I'm going to say it publicly in programming these astronauts into not remembering what they had actually seen and actually had experienced. And this all this stuff together, which I have never told anybody for how many decades now has it been since that Cody conference?
1: It's long be- time. It's been a
0: very long time. It's because it made me realize as nothing else could that there were secrets that they are willing to protect and they were willing to, I mean, I'd never been threatened giving a speech at a conference in my entire life, ever. I mean, I'd, I'd had weird scrapes in downtown Washington in the middle of the night coming in and out of bars with guys with knives that wanted to, you know, do weird things to me. But this was at a totally different level. This was a professional, I thought, who basically was telling me, if you ever do this again, you're going to be toast. And I look at this now In the in the context of the whole story, that the astronauts are not their own people, that they, these national treasures, again only four of them who walked on the moon are left, they somehow have been psychologically manipulated to where they do not remember, they cannot connect with the feelings of being there. So yes, Andrew, they turn by default to the things they can remember, which is the script. The timeline, the tasks, the mission, the, the, the you know, the uh, traverses, all that. And I, I wonder if Bean knew that something had happened to him and he turned to an avenue that they could not touch, which was this incredible right brain subliminal connection to the reality that he saw but he could never say.
2: Yeah, no, I I think we're going to be picking that apart tonight, Richard.
0: <laughs> yep. So, Quintia, you do not know anything about Alan Bean's life, his career, his astronaut stuff, his Navy career and all that, but you've come to this kind of pure looking just at his art. Yes, but Richard, it's bottom of the hour. Oh, my God. It certainly is. Oh. Well, I'll tell you what. We will go out on a very interesting note because I have a little surprise for everyone. I thought this would be a kind of a fitting way. You're on the other side of midnight. And something will happen. All right. Something should happen. There he is. Alan, wherever you are, this is from your era and mine. Enjoy. You now can see it all. We'll be right back.
1: In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me.
0: to the first hour of The Other Side of Midnight. Be sure to catch our complete live show every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, for a full three hours of this kind of exploration. And be sure to visit TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com as you listen, so you can follow our special Radio with Pictures guest page simultaneously. The Conthea, our hard-working producer, specifically prepares to illustrate the topics discussed each show. Why? Because there is vital additional information on that Radio with Pictures guest page that I assure you will immeasurably enhance your understanding and enjoyment of what our guests are describing. I mean, would you rather listen to a guest talk about NASA images of ancient artifacts on Mars or simultaneously be able to follow the official NASA images showing you as you're listening the ruins? If you'd like to listen at your convenience to all our shows, including our unique Radio Pictures feature, please visit TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. Okay, what do you get with your Club 19.5 membership, besides helping the show literally stay on the air? Well, first of all, you will exclusively, this is not available to the general public, enjoy our enhanced ad-free podcast, courtesy of Chris Bell automatically downloading all the latest The Other Side of Midnight shows directly to your favorite podcast device so you can listen when you want to. Further, as a full Club 19.5 member, you will gain exclusive access to our The Other Side of Midnight 24-7 chat server, what I can't help calling the Open Hailing Frequencies Room, which is available only to members 24-7. Now, during the show, that's where you will find other 19.5 members and sometimes even members of the bridge crew, my guests, and even me uh, when I have time. Regardless, you can always relay live questions to me during the show just by going to the Open Hailing Frequencies room. Of course, when we're not on the air with your 19.5 membership, you can visit our Club 19.5 radio archives anytime and download all our shows directly to your computer which will automatically provide you a screen size that allows you to really examine the remarkable images Kinthea posts for each show. Okay, here's where I need to get kind of super serious. Club 19.5 is how our show is currently solely supported. In my hopefully not vain attempt to keep commercials to a minimum. If you're concerned about keeping us on the air, If you want to hear information that has been vetted far more than perhaps any other show, the best way to ensure that is to join Club 19.5 and get your friends and family to join, too. And if you don't know already, when I drop by open hailing frequencies, you can even ask me directly what the ultimate meaning is behind 19.5, literally the most exclusive club in the world. Please join me and my interesting guests on this very stream every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, and be sure to come back and listen to our live three-hour shows. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. On this Sunday night on Memorial Day, we're doing a memorial to Alan Bean, eminent artist, astronaut, and truth teller. Except in the uh, lines of one of my favorite poets, Emily Dickinson, he told all the truth in his art, but he told it slant. This one's for you, Alan. Andy Williams.
1: Wherever you're going, I'm going. I'm very friend
0: drifters off to see the world except it wasn't this world it was the moon that these two drifters p conrad and alan bean saw on that memorable week in november of 1969 um anyway guys uh where do we want to pick up andrew i think i want to come back to you what was alan bean trying to get around the blocks that i am no doubt were, were imposed there uh and that he brilliantly, incredibly successfully was able to avoid.
2: Well, um, I'm going to give you a little backstory on before I answer that question. And you had a in early in the early days of your show, Richard, when you were linked with um, Art, you came after him. You used to have open lines. I think once a week on a Wednesday or something. And one night, a young man called in and started sort of arguing with you about the authenticity of the images and has anybody ever gone to the moon. Anyways, it was something that he said in his argument and I, I, I never called into shows. And I, like Chris says in his um, promos, I'm, I'm, I was kind of shy. <laughs>
0: and, you I went into, shy? <laughs> well,
2: I went, in, I went into this elaborate email to you and I said I was almost tempted to call in because of some of the material you had in um, Dark Mission. And Alan Bean's paintings, which sort of triggered me just being an artist. And then you sort of said to me, you came back and said, How would you like to be on the show? <laughs> I was like,
0: <laughs> No, I
2: wanted to run away. Anyhow, I, I, I sort of screwed up enough courage to come on and talk about sort of how I broke it down. And and I immediately went to your book. So if we go to um, Radio with Pictures,
0: and the way everybody gets down. there, you go to the other side of yeah. midnight.com. Click on tonight's graphic, which is that stunning self-portrait that Alan Bean did of himself standing on the moon, trying to use the painting to say how it really felt. That will take you to the guest page tonight. Just scroll down and you'll see uh, Andrew's items, um, number one, right under the apex black hole thingy that we didn't talk about. We may do that later. Anyway, AC slash glass domes on the moon. Yeah.
2: So if you click on that. And then click again and you'll get a bigger image. And again, this is why it's really important, everybody, if you can um, get an image or get a a window open to look at this stuff. And if not, then you can always join Club 19.5 and come back and look at these archives and look at it over and over again because it's really important that you do. Because to get the full richness of the show, Richard's constructed this to have us interacting with the images as well. So it's really important. So anyways, there's your ad. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So one of the things that tweaked me was this idea, and I know Keith's got a lot to say about this, but that there are these glass domes on the moon and you and Mike Barra sort of uncovered this, what I think is pretty fascinating um, evidence in these images from you know from the Apollo mission, Richard, do you want to describe the first the color of figure five, Mitchell under
0: the glass? Well, I'm going to be sending um, a copy of the actual original to Cynthia uh, to post because the, the geometry. This is a this is a screenshot of the book half tone, so you lose a whole bunch. I want people to look at the actual original, and then I'll tell the story when, once we get that up there. Okay.
2: Okay, but what we basically see. In, in the area behind Mitchell is what looks like geometry in the sky, and there's even what looks like a, a divot of some sort. It's a, it's a very odd thing. And one of, that, one of the things I noticed about Alan Bean – got to remember he um, was the fourth man on the moon. He was the lunar excursion module pilot for Apollo 12. And, you know, Richard, I just read something about him last night that apparently he showed his value almost immediately into the launch. Apparently, something happened and when they first yeah, took um, off. Let,
0: let me, let me uh, tell you, because I was there. I mean, the, the, okay. the, the kind of neat part about doing a show like this is I was there. You know, I was a witness to history. I was tapped on the shoulder to be Walter Cronkite and CBS News science advisor to go to the moon. No, they didn't want me to go to the moon. They wanted me to tell them what was going on with the folks who were going to the moon. And I remember I was sitting in this control room in New York, um, surrounded by hundreds of television screens, it seemed like, and a whole bunch of people, including Robert Wessler, who was our executive producer. And we're watching all these TV screens, live video and audio from Cape Canaveral uh, at that time. And Apollo 12 on a Saturn V is poised to leave in November. 69 for the moon. Second mission. First one was, you know, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and uh, Collins on Apollo 11. This was Apollo 12. And it's pouring cats and hammer handles and anything else you can think of falling from the sky at the Cape. We can't see the rocket we can hear the countdown but we can't see anything cuz the blinding rain is just sluicing the tv cameras and our poor guys are wearing slickers and they're trying to protect the lenses and all this and remember those were the days when we had these huge big boxy tv cameras on massive tripods not yeah. like you know little shoulder mounted things this was this was major major you know almost d day type invasion to do a remote shoot and we can't see a thing And we hear the countdown reach zero, and we can see in the distance just a flickering of light on the horizon through the drenching downpour. And the Saturn V lifts off. Incredible to be there. I've actually been very lucky enough to see several Saturn Vs leave physically. I mean, it's an unforgettable experience. This time I was in New York watching a TV camera. And a few seconds after liftoff, we hear on the air to ground, because we had a direct connection to what NASA was calling air to ground. The astronauts talking to the ground, the ground talking to the astronauts, the radio where we're eavesdropping. And we hear all hell break loose. Conrad comes on the uh, the uh, loop and he says, you know, we've lost A and B uh, main bus out, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, technically, we had no idea what this meant. I had a kind of an inkling. But they lost all electrical power. And even worse, they lost all transmission telemetry from the spacecraft to the ground, to NASA. So this the thundering Saturn V is leaving the Earth on, you know, six, seven million pounds of thrust, and they have no data. All they have is a voice link to the astronauts who say, we've lost everything, meaning all electrical systems, computers, navigation, lights, you know, alarms are going off in the background. And it was Alan Bean who, when the controller on the ground said, thinking back to a simulation where something like this had happened, try throwing switch so-and-so from uh, SEC to AUX." meaning the backup, auxiliary. And Bean, Conrad hadn't a clue what, what you know, he's the commander of the mission. They're, they're, they're leaving, you know, the Earth. They're, they're accelerating now like 6,000 miles per hour in a totally blind, dead spacecraft on top of a flaming rocket that can't be shut down from their system because nothing's working. Bean remembers this little switch from a simulation and he reaches up over his head And he throws it and the signal conditioner system that formats the engineering telemetry from the spacecraft to NASA, to the ground, to the antennas, comes back to life and the ground can see that the flight is proceeding normally. So they didn't call for Conrad to hit the abort button, which would have ended the whole mission and may have, you know, who knows what it would have done to the crew because such an escape abort during a live Saturn V launch had never been practiced. Even in simulation, they used a rocket called Little Joe, which was nothing like um, the Saturn V. So Bean... By remembering, by his left-brain astronaut engineering training, remembering that switch and what it was supposed to do, he saved the entire Apollo 12 mission and maybe their lives. Andrew, back to you.
2: Yeah, you know, you just brought three points forward that I'd love to talk about, but then we wouldn't get into the paintings, but we won't get to
0: them. <laughs> well, we have three hours. Come on.
2: Well, one of the things that you just said is is the training. And I sort of alluded to that earlier. And we're going to – well, you, you just said it. These guys were so comfortable in their training, in their protocol, in their mission outlines. They knew exactly what they had to do. And NASA ran them through everything. They were doing experiments. They were they – were, even their toolkits, they were using – they spoke about this later that They used everything in their toolkits when they're on the moon because they didn't really know what it was going to, you know, exactly what it was going to be like. And so all this preparation is where the that's where these guys' comfort zone is: taking orders, laying it out, doing it the right way. And another thing that you brought up, Richard, right away was this idea of teamwork. And in a lot of his lectures, if you watch on YouTube, uh, Alan Bean's lectures with, you know, various universities and business groups. He's often talking about um, uh, leadership and teamwork, and you and so these guys were the right stuff, right? This, which which fun.
0: made let me interrupt. Which made yeah. his switch when he came yeah. back from the moon. His switch from a team effort, where everybody's part of the team. Ever you may not know everything, but you know something that's the guy next to you doesn't know, and that fills in the big mm. picture and that saves the mission. You go from that team spirit, that football, you know, endless sports that guys are drilled into, team, team, team. He goes into this totally different headspace, which is an artist, which aside from being a writer, he said as a writer, is perhaps one of the loneliest professions on the planet because it's just you and the canvas and the brush. And there's no team. There's nobody you can count on. If it doesn't flow, pun intended, it won't show up. And, and that incredible change of his whole life story, his whole life history, his whole life arrow, to me, well, Richard, as Keith alluded to a moment ago, is really the heart of the story. What made this engineer team player go for the most solitary or one of the most solitary
1: professions on earth? Well, Richard, it wasn't just it wasn't just Alan; it was Pete Conrad too. Uh, if you remember, uh, Pete Conrad went looking for Noah's Ark. He had a oh, that's no no, oh. no, no, no,
0: that that, that was Warden. Was that, that was that Warden.
1: Okay, wrong guy. <coughs> but uh, you know, I was you no, know, Pete Conrad was the guy that uh, he he died on a motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, he also, yeah, no, he, no, I remember reading. He also went through significant life changes after after this, and and it reminds me of people that are at a identity crisis
0: Mm. Uh, well they have this cliche of the so-called midlife crisis and in in one sense you can think of it in terms of standard cliched you know psychology what do you do from up Where, where do you go after you've done the most incredible thing that a human being can do walk on the surface of another planet i mean who wouldn't have a crisis because how do you how do you follow that act but I think this is deeper. I think this yeah,
1: is. It was an existential crisis. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. just getting a Porsche at 45.
1: Yeah. And Richard, there's
2: a, a another link I had Kinthea put up. She kindly did it. It's a little news report. I, I can't remember if it was CBS or anyways, it was, it's, it's up on, on the site. We don't have to look at it right now. It's about 60 seconds and there's a small, they talk about Alan Bean's life. I mean, everybody was doing it like over this courses at this weekend, but um, but there's a point where he's talking about, you know, he, he was an, uh, a NASA astronaut, then he was, I believe, in Skylab. Mm-hmm. Am I right about that? Yep. Yep. You no, know,
0: he was commander of one of the uh, early Skylab missions.
1: And then he was going to be at 40. Oh, right. 40- hey, oh, it, was, it was Pete Conrad who went, he, he led two expeditions to Mount So He so, did
0: two? Because all- I know yes. Warden got injured. Warden is a very yeah, it, it, it was fundamentalist.
1: And then it was a it was a it was a uh, it was whispered and rumored that uh, that his motorcycle accident may have been not an accident.
0: Well, before. I was telling the story before we came on the air with cynthia. and and um, I have suspicions that his accident was not an accident uh, because he was supposed to give a speech at a major uh, trademark in 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 um, uh, Houston about industrialization of the moon. And he was promising, to reveal something surprising about the moon. This was like two or three days. And then he went out with his friends biking. He slipped on gravel or something. And he, you know, the bike fell over and he's on the side of the road. And they all say, you got to go to the hospital, got to go to the clinic. You know, they took him there. He rode, you know, he was in fine. He was perfect, fine shape. He goes into an examining room and he never comes out. Now, medically, you can say, "Okay, he had a subdural hematoma. Something happened. You know, he didn't feel it right away." But I always connected his speech with his totally untimely death, because everybody was shocked. The
1: doctor well, was this shocked. Guy, this guy climbed Mount Everest and went to the moon. He was huge. Yeah. Sh- yeah. So, I you mean, guys, well, hold on. An-
0: anything weird can happen. But, but again, it goes back to when these guys came home. Something major shifted. Not one, not two, but a bunch of these guys went into something so different that you would never have been able to predict it based on their previous careers. And normal human beings don't do that.
1: Well, look, Edgar went – Edgar also, his epiphany drove him. He went looking into ESP. He was trying to find someone who could connect with him telepathically so he could tell the story that way because he couldn't tell it openly because it would have violated his oath. Hmm. It's a big old guy. See, I don't know and again the big question
0: is and we're not gonna solve it tonight, do these guys know that they have been censored internally or do they suspect it? It's like this 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 apprehension, this dark cloud that that they don't know what happened but they know they can't I mean, remember I've told you the story of Aldrin, right? He's he's at a I think fifth anniversary with Jay Barbary uh, get together at uh, Edwards Air Force Base at the Kiwanis Club. You know, a bunch of jockeys, fly boys getting together, just talking about, you know, what it was like to walk on the moon. And Jay Barbary asked him the question, Andrew. He says, what did it feel like? And Aldrin, in his book, describes how he suddenly had this incredible wave of nausea forcing him to run off stage, run out the side door, and throw up in the alley. And his wife mm-hmm. Betty comes out and says, what the hell, are you all right? That kind of thing. So that to me says, ding, 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 psychological yeah. aversion therapy. Yeah, Clockwork Orange, Stanley yep, yep, Kubrick. Yep, 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 yep,
1: yep, Yeah. Well, you know, Alan, Alan stayed around for a pretty good while uh, because he expressed painting lies. And, uh, you know, not a lot of people interpret art uh, fully. And so he could probably uh, get by with saying what he had to say that way without the professions. Of-
0: See, again, I don't know whether they know they can't talk about certain things because I don't know anybody, any human being that can be consistently lying about something so incredibly important unless they lo- literally have blank; They don't remember. But I think subliminally they felt there was more to the story and being – his avenue of communication, again, I think subliminal, was his incredible art, which is telling all the truth that we now know is on the moon. All of it.
1: Well, you know, different people condition differently also. True, and, true. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, You know, what What might monarch somebody might uh, piss somebody else off. And maybe that was the case with Pete Conrad, and he didn't keep his mouth shut. Mm. But, you know, regardless. Well, of,
0: hang on, hang on. I think that the Bart Seibel incident with Aldrin, Remember when Bart Seibel wanted him to swear on a Bible outside of some place in Hollywood that he'd walked on the moon, and mm-hmm. what did Aldrin do? He hit him with a haymaker, and it was <laughs> well, so I mean, uncharacteristic. It, to, to be fair, to be fair, if
1: you watched the video, the guy was haranguing him
0: pretty well, bad. Well, yeah, but I'll, you're I'll, a I'll public, it, public person. You're that. you're in the military. You have dealt with amazing yeah. situations. Discipline. You have self-control, discipline, absolutely. I think the these guys, what happened with Aldrin, and again, this is speculation. But I think the problem comes back to Aldrin himself. How many times do you have to hear the most important thing you've ever done, which is your claim to history and fame and all that? How many times do you have to hear it's all a fake before you really begin to wonder if you can't remember it? My God, could they be right? Could I be part of the biggest hoax in history? And you get mad at yourself. And I think that's well, what you, happened with Aldrin. And I think that, by the way, that these guys need regular or irregular booster shots, uh, that it fades from time and there's this overlay and real confusion. I mean, look at Aldrin when he came back. He became a drunk.
1: Do you remember Neil going on uh, Seinfeld? I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, uh,
0: no, it was John uh, Glen
1: yeah, on John Glenn, Fraser. John Fra- 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 yeah.
0: Incredible episode which we've talked about at great length and I think it was Dark Mission or Monuments or maybe both. But yeah, and John Glenn, he wouldn't have seen stuff because he was in low Earth orbit and he was on the shuttle, but he may have heard from the guys when their, when their lid was lifted. Because I don't think, I think it's like booster shots. I think they have to regularly be re-exposed or whatever, otherwise it fades. Um, and with Bean... Notice, Andrew, how—we'll bring it back to Bean now—notice how his artwork gets much more interesting the further he gets from the event.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we go back, (laughs) we'll get
0: there, everybody. (laughs) Okay, I've just sent Kintia the images. She's going to post them Mm -hmm. so we can give people proper context. But anyway, so while we're getting ready, I'll set people up and then I'll tell them when she's got them ready. This first shot in, uh, in the corner of, of your first uh, AC glass domes on the moon, this is an enhancement I did from a photograph, an 8 by 10 glossy, that Ken Johnston, who I invited to be on the show tonight, and he's away. It's Memorial Day, so he's doing something, something interesting with his family. What, what, what an astonishing concept. Anyway, he gave me this photograph, and Keith, when I looked at it, he saw absolutely nothing. It was a normal lunar picture with, with Ed Mitchell out there in the, in, the, in the foreground putting up the TV camera against an airless lunar horizon with nice sun coming from the right and all that classic lunar photograph. When I put it on the scanner, primitive scanners back in 1995, and jacked up the contrast and the gain just a bit, suddenly what was hiding in the emulsion which they had tried to obscure by printing it so the sky was dark, came out with this stunning filigree geometry of lace-like glass-like constructions extending up from the horizon all in, in the entire frame, from one side of the frame to the other. And I picked out an area close to the center and zoomed in on that and enlarged it. And that's that inset enlarged. And we're going to have the original of my scan up on the other side of Midnight shortly. And you'll see this incredible three dimensional, shattered, tattered, meteor abraded geometry of constructions, which there's no other way to describe what's on these photographs that Ken kept out from NASA's hands for 30 years after he was told to destroy them, another piece of circumstantial evidence that NASA, never a straight answer, space agency, has not been telling us the truth, and they have somehow tampered with the minds of all the guys who walk there. So to bring it back to Bean, Bean starts painting paintings that are nothing like the moon that NASA has given us. That member used to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question that will be read on the air to the guest. And you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies. We realize that not everyone wants to call in live, and this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate. Club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows, ask questions, suggest new guests. And I may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions. Also, the entire bridge crew is in these participating chat channels, so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.